2018 United States North Korea Summit Special. So, President Donald Trump, North Korean Chairman Kim Jong Un, it's the U.S. North Summit we've waited months for. Maybe didn't believe would truly happen. The bilateral elements over. They started the expanded part of it. They're working into a, a lunch, and then hopefully some sort of joint statement. But uh, already we've had some indications. President Trump describing the morning meeting as very, very good. You are listening to TBS EFM's 2018 United States North Korea Summit Special, coming to you live, 101.3 here in Seoul and surrounding areas. I'm Alex Jensen, usually from this morning, but here we are into the afternoon, rolling through to 2 p.m. to make sure you're updated, to make sure that you get as much analysis as you need on this momentous time. In history unfolding before us, so we will have a number of experts joining us in the studio and on the phone to discuss everything related to the summit. This half hour, for now, though, is brought to you by Huanin Pharmaceutical Company, DB Insurance, and Manica. So, 13 minutes past 12, and we're kind of in the quiet within the storm right now. Uh, this incredible summit—just a staggering moment of kind of taking a breath away when when you see the footage, even before the handshake, the embrace of the two leaders, uh, Kim Jong Un's stern face when he got out of his car, and then was later greeted by. Donald Trump, uh, a moment that we've spoken about so much, it sort of feels surreal. But uh, Manuel Pastrach, director of the Asia Institute, is here in the studio. I'm pleased to say, good morning. Uh, now afternoon, I knew I was going to say that at some point. I'm pleased to get it out of the way. Didn't I just say to you, um, Professor Pastrach, that I that I was like you know particularly. Keen not to say that, but thank you very much for being here. And also, Sarah Son, research director, Transitional Justice Working Group, a research professor at Korea University's Human Rights Center. Also, an absolute pleasure to have you here. Thank you. So, both of you, thoughts so far. At the moment, we're kind of feeding off scraps from this summit, but we've got a few little quotes here and there, and the optics are good, aren't they? Um, starting with you, Emmanuel Pastrach. Well, the initial uh, meeting uh, went smoothly, uh, and the uh, the spin, as you might say, from the United States was positive in the Trump camp. Uh, so, at this moment, we have a positive uh, launch. Uh, however, uh, it, there's far from a consensus in the United States as a whole on this uh, on this summit. So, uh, there's still an enormous number of uh, um, unknowns. Really is that way. Um, from your perspective, Sarah Son, I mean, the, the the moment itself was just fascinating. The handshake. Uh, Donald Trump has been known for these you know, very elaborate gestures, um, but it was a pretty straightforward, <laughs> a pretty straightforward greeting. There's not a lot to say about that. But what was your personal feeling when you saw it finally come together? Um, well, you know, there's been so much hype, and we're we're all sitting there feeling. 
anxious, I think, and, and nervous, just, just wondering what it's going to look like. Um, and, you know, the scrutiny that that particular handshake was under was extraordinary. Um, and, and, you know, I myself was watching to see who was smiling when. Um, there was a sort of serious-faced uh, presentation to the, to the assembled media for a photograph, and, and, and then the smiles started to, to, to emerge as they, I think, relaxed ever so slightly in each other's company. Um, but, but, yeah, it, what, what was really going on in the minds of both of them, we, we may never know, but um, it was certainly a very interesting and highly scrutinised moment. Well, I can also now bring in on the line Professor Lee Sung-yoon Fletcher School of Law and Diplomacy, Tufts University, a regular guest on um, my regular show this morning, but now joining us this afternoon. And thank you for taking the time. This night, I'm afraid, here in Boston. But thank you for having me. Well, we're dealing with all time zones, as we have been throughout today since we've been on air. Uh, we started at 7, unfolding this process. We will be on air till 2 p.m. with our summit special and professor e you've offered so much analysis you you talked in the past about how sanctions needed to be tougher sanctions got tougher and here we are at this moment i i are you sort of celebrating this at this point or are you still very cautious president trump told kim jong-chol kim jong-un's special envoy who visited the white house as we know on june 1st to take your time, direct quote, I told him to take your time on denuclearization. What kind of message does that send North Korea? And why are we having this moment? What is the raison d'etre, the crux of the issue here between the two sides? Denuclearization of what? When Kim Jong-un says that he is fully committed to the complete, verifiable, irreversible denuclearization of the Korean Peninsula, he speaks with nothing but earnestness and with great utmost sincerity for what Kim means here is the complete, verifiable, irreversible deportation of the U.S. troops from South Korea. When the two sides cannot even agree on, not only not agree on, but hold polar opposite views of the reason for being there, you have a problem. So the two sides will each, each will claim political victory. They will most likely come out with some kind of an ambiguously worded joint statement and say that they've made great progress. But this first date, this first meeting will only be the opening act to follow up summits, more negotiations, protracted um, really drawn out negotiations to come. And when North Korea is able to buy time like that and also lay the foundation to get South Korea and China to do more for North Korea in terms of engagement and financial assistance, then this is a good day for Kim. It's a good day for Trump, but I think uh, Trump's gains will be more political and short-lived than the more substantive gains that Kim will walk away with. Is it not a, a positive? Can we not at least say it's a source of celebration that finally the US and North Korea are talking? I mean, they're not fighting right now. Well, I mean, of course, that you, you certainly can say that, but we have been saying that repeatedly. The two sides have not had a war since 1953. We know that it's been a very imperfect, shaky, precarious peace, but real peace 
de facto peace, no war. And that's been a happy period for South Korea, which has grown very affluent and democratic over the years. So the fact that the two sides are now talking and not trading barbs and invective and threatening nuclear annihilation certainly is progress. But does this really lead to genuine rapprochement? Well, in 2000, in the wake of the first in the Korean summit, hopes were high, but North Korea, we know, continued to advance its nuclear capabilities, the second summit in 07. And so we've seen temporary rapprochement for in inter-Korean relations and North Korea-U.S. relations repeatedly in history. And is this different from all previous North Korean ploys? That remains to be seen, but... I'm not really convinced. I don't really see any compelling evidence that North Korea has made a strategic decision to go in a very different direction. What about the idea that there's no turning back from here, though? Kim Jong-un has now been drawn out of his country. He's in Singapore. He's being treated like a celebrity, whether that's the right thing or not. That might change him as a person. Again, isn't it better to sort of try to, if you like, butter him up and and make him a global person than to keep him in hiding and and to continue to put that sort of pressure on? Uh, You certainly could say that, and there's great truth in that. Um, But I remember, say, in 2000, his father, Kim Jong-il, came out of this isolationist carapace, dramatically calling for an inter-Korean summit, which, as we know, took place in June. And a fortnight before that, For the first time since assuming power six years before, he made a secret visit to Beijing. It was his first foreign foray out of North Korea. And why did he go to China? Well, because he had some issues to discuss with the Chinese on the eve of a very important summit meeting with the South Korean president. And that led to Vladimir Putin visiting Kim Jong-il in Pyongyang. It was the first ever visit by the top Russian or former Soviet leader. That was July 19th. So in May, June, July 2000, Kim Jong-il held summits with the Chinese leader, the South Korean leader, and the Russian leader. Then, as we know, he sent a special envoy to President Bill Clinton in October Mm. and was receiving Madeleine Albright just 12 days later. And then Kim Jong-il paid another visit to China, this time to the southern province of Guangdong, the special economic zone, the cities of Guangzhou, Shenzhen, and uh, Zhuhai. And that was reminiscent of Deng Xiaoping's so-called southern tour in early 1992, which was a reaffirmation of Deng Xiaoping's reform policy. So many people at the time hailed this sudden tour inspection by Kim Jong-il as the second coming of Deng Xiaoping, a new Korean reformer had been born. But these are all optical illusions in the past. Now, there is always the possibility that things will pan out in a very different, more constructive way. But I get the feeling that Kim Jong-un is really following the script the playbook that has been laid out by his father. Professor E, thank you for joining us on the line today. Thank you. And uh, good night to you, uh, your end. Professor E. Sung-Hyun, Fletcher School of Law and Diplomacy, Tufts University. Returning to you, Emmanuel Pasturaj, Director of the Asia Institute here in the studio. I noticed, you know, you, you reacting to what Professor E. had to say. And I didn't say anything. <laughs> no, but I, I saw you reacting. And I, and I, I just find right. it interesting how 
people view North Korea in entirely different ways. Like they can see the same thing. Very true. And, and see completely different things. And, and, and do you see things very differently to Professor E? Oh, well, I, I think there's, uh, there, there certainly is a different narrative in terms of the issues with North Korea. I mean, North Korea has been a very closed uh, authoritarian government, not unlike many countries in the world. Uh, but uh, in terms of what happened in 2000, uh, many experts feel that the United States uh, had made a series of uh, promises in terms of aid, in terms of uh, uh, crude oil shipments, and that it was the United States uh, which took the first step in, in starting a negative uh, um, a turn after the after the uh, uh, visit of uh, of Madeleine Albright it was October uh, two thousand. Uh, so there are other interpretations of this of this story, um, and uh, at the present day, uh, there is plenty of reason to believe that North Korea is making fundamental changes. Uh, we already see this taking place. Uh, and uh, certainly North Korea and in China, other places, uh, the uh, uh, sanctions regime uh, seems to be the main block, not the uh, unwillingness of North Korea uh, to engage the world. Sarah Son of Transitional Justice Working Group, also Korea University's Human Rights Center. Uh, your title can lead us into the question of whether we should just celebrate this change without saying, hang on a minute, <laughs> what about all these other issues that need to be resolved? I, already, for example, I know all three of us have got enough experience with Korea to know all the problems with the lingering difficulties of the 20th century that have hung on into the 21st century with Japan. I fear the same might happen with North Korea if we don't deal with them while we've got the opportunity to do so. What, what do you think? Yeah, there was a there was a moment during his walkabout in Singapore last night where you you overheard a member of the the local public saying we love you Mr Kim and the cameras picked that up. And in that moment it really hit me that you know this spectacle has the potential to enable you know a huge um, swathe of the international population to who, who simply do not have the understanding of, of what he has presided over um, inheriting you know the, the the prison camp system um, you know he assassinated his half brother very recently he's he's hacked and robbed Bangla the Bangladeshi Bank for example in, in recent years and you know there there is a huge amount that that can get overlooked and and sidelined in in these sorts of proceedings where it is there is so much showmanship and so much um, sort of glossiness put over what is in reality a very very serious situation in North Korea. Just staying with this topic um, which sometimes feels like it's the elephant in the room it probably is the right. elephant in the room right, right now at Capella Hotel and Sentosa Island but uh, for, for you Emmanuel Pastrage, um do you have any sympathy for the fact that Kim Jong-un is the grandson of Kim Il-sung when you're the grandson of Kim Il-sung, and you're the son of Kim Jong-il, right. and you inherit power. Right. Um, it seems like that bed's been made for you to a certain extent, and if he was to, at this point, change and reform, that, that would be perhaps to his credit. Uh, but, but would that allow us to overlook the first few years of his regime? Uh, well, you're asking a, a difficult, if not impossible, uh, question. Uh, uh, and of course, I, you can feel sympathy for any person, uh, and uh, the, the the situation is is uh, is difficult. And, and uh, North Korea is sufficiently challenged that there could be significant uh, change. Uh, actually, Donald Trump 
in uh, Kim Jong-un have a lot in common. They both inherited uh, wealth and power uh, from their father. I mean, maybe with the Trump family, a little bit fewer generations. Uh, uh, but I think they have more in common than they have in different in terms of their background. And they're both extremely performative as personalities. Um, I think the, the question... crimes against humanity, they don't have in common. Uh, albeit I think you know there are a lot of Trump detractors who would argue a few of his actions and comments are in a way crimes against humanity but they're very different crimes so I'm going to go out on a limb since you've tempted me such the United States itself is in the process of building a whole prison system through privatized prisons separating uh, immigrant children from their parents so uh, some of us don't see this the same way we see some uh, very disturbing trends in the United States today I mean Sarah Son, we, we don't have time to deal with that right now because we're mm. going to have a brief break, but we can pick up on it again. Mm. It is interesting what Emmanuel Pastorage has just said there. There are a lot of American listeners who I'm sure if they were hearing that would be screaming at the radio and say, how can you possibly compare the United <laughs> States with North Korea? Others would say, well, you know, North Korea's propaganda is starting to come true. Pound of sharp 1013 for 51 per message. If you'd like to have your say and weigh in with our guest today, and this special TBS EFM 2018 US North Korea Summit special continues next. Excellent.